we, if, if you're joining with us, what we did this last few weeks, six weeks or so, we've been talking about prayer. And so what I want to do is I want to wrap that thing up this morning a little bit with that aspect of prayer. What we've been talking, what we talked about last week was this whole idea that when we pray, we've got to be praying in faith. We pointed out last week a couple different uh, passages. In Matthew chapter 17, it's the father who has the sick child, comes, Jesus is just coming down from the mountain of transfiguration. The father has asked the disciples, please cast out the demon. They couldn't do it. And so they asked Jesus afterwards, how is it that we couldn't do it? And he makes the comment, this kind can only be done by prayer and fasting. So he ties together in the middle of the comments that he has when he's talking to the dad and to the disciples, he makes comments about their unbelief or their lack of faith. And then as he summarizes it, he says it can only be happening by prayer and fasting. So he's tying the idea of faith, confidence, belief in God with the aspect of prayer and fasting. We have another text that talks about that more pointedly in Matthew 21. Jesus is in that last week of ministry. He is walking towards Jerusalem, sees the tree that supposedly has figs on it. There are none. And so he curses the tree. They come back later in the day. The tree is dead. The disciples are surprised that he cursed it and it died so quickly. And that's when he makes the comments, if you have faith, you can move mountains. The second time he's made this comment, the other time was that Matthew 17. And so he then adds to it, and if you look at the context that he's talking about faith, he ties to prayer. All things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Mark has the same idea. Have faith in God, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe. So when we pray, it's not just going through rituals. And that is different than what some people believe. There are some religions that say as long as you say X amount of prayers and you do the praying Uh, ritual, then that's going to produce the results. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. It's not just going through a litany. It's not just going through the beads. It is rather, what is your spirit? What are you thinking? What about faith? And are you praying? He says in James, if you lack wisdom, ask of God. God's going to give liberally. He doesn't abradeth or say, no, 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 I've given you too much already is the idea. But he says it's going to give. He's going to give. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, because if he's like that, sea and the wind driven about, he's not going to receive anything from the Lord. So again, we have the aspect, praying, combining with faith. He does that at the end of the chapter, the book of uh, James. In chapter 5, he he alludes to it again, that it's the faith of the individuals, not just the action of praying, not just the ritual, but are you praying in faith? And then that would save the sick person that the leaders of the church are praying over and for. And so we know that there's an aspect of faith that has to be involved when we're praying. The question we have to ask is what kind of faith? What is it exactly that when we say, okay, I believe, we talked about this last week, is it the idea that just, okay, um, you know, I'm just going to keep on plugging through no matter what because... You know, I'm just going to push, 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 push like a little train going up the hill. Is that what faith is about? Is faith a leap in the dark? Is it the idea that we, you know, we have no assurances, we have no confidences, but we're just going to believe in something and we've tried everything else and so now we're going to believe in God? No, in Hebrews chapter 11, he's writing. And when he's writing the book, there are believers who are starting to wander away from the faith. 
Okay, they're starting to shift back to Judaism, and he's going to explain to them uh, the, how Christianity is so superior to the old Judaistic system. As he is explaining that, he's going to get to the area of their ancestors, their heroes, the people that they uh, that they would read about in their uh, Sabbath schools, their Sunday schools, uh, Saturday schools, that they would hear about these heroic figures. And he's going to use the heroic figures to point out that it really wasn't a religious system. It wasn't the ritual, but it was their faith. It was their faith that made these people such heroic characters. So we pick up in that context that he is talking, and he begins the chapter with the idea of what is faith. And he gives us some explanation, some definition of what is God-pleasing faith. Not faith that we operate by, but rather, what does God operate by? Let's look and read it, and then let's dissect it. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it our ancestors, the elders, obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he being dead, yet speaks. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. And before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Taking those six verses, let's take the phrases and let's define faith. God-pleasing faith. Okay? Number one, we would have to make this, uh, this, this statement. Faith begins with the idea of it includes the substance of things hoped for. Now, I don't know what translation you're sitting with. Okay, I'm using the King James. The substance of things. Really, you may want to mark this down if you don't have it. It's the substantiating. It is the assurance is literally the idea here. The uh, word that is used is the idea of that which forms a foundation. And we all understand what a foundation is. It's so important that the house has a strong foundation or what's going to happen. In time, what happens to the house that has a weak foundation or the building? It's going to collapse. Things are going to crumble. The cracks are going to show up even with a good foundation. They're shifting. And so this idea, the word that he's using here is the idea of the foundation, that which everything else is built upon, and something that is very stable, something very fixed, something that is absolutely sure. And he says, okay... That when we talk about faith, it is the substance of things for, uh, hoped for. It is the idea that what we do is we have confidence that there is something more, something that we're hoping for, we're looking forward to. It's more than the experiences of this life. If we can define it this way, faith, where we start is accepting that it isn't just here and then we're done. It isn't just this is all there is to life, so you better get everything you can. Now, do some people operate by that principle? Oh, sure, sure. Okay, and so he is starting off laying out the definition and saying, okay, faith is a confidence that there's something more to life than what we touch right here, than what we experience right here. That's the beginning of faith. Then we take it a step further. Okay? It is the evidence of things not seen. The word that he uses for evidence is the word for proof. It is the idea of presenting evidence in a courtroom situation. So he is saying that if with faith I believe there's more to this life than just what's physical. 
I believe there's an existence beyond this life. I believe that there's more of me than just, you know, the composition of, of the different aspects of our body. But it's also the evidence of things not seen. It is accepting the proofs, accepting the realities, if you would. The evidence is that there is something far more than this life, and that far more includes the existence of God. Because he says he must believe that God is. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And so you say, well, okay, by faith, we accept there's evidences of God's existence. Let's throw them out, okay? What are some of the evidences given in Scripture that there is a God? Nature. You would call it creation. Anything else? Another, another evidence. Everybody has this evidence that there is a God. The conscience, creation and conscience, two evidences that are very, very clear that there is a God. Now, we don't see the God. Uh, that's like that old illustration. People say, well, how do we know there's a God? I don't see him. You know, that same hunter who's out there in the woods who might deny that there is the, a creator because he's never seen him, but yet he might be an individual who has not seen the deer, but he sees the deer track, and because he sees the deer track or the buck rubs, he knows that there's a deer nearby. We have the evidences of God's footprint all through creation. All you have to do is look at the stars. All you have to look is a, is a baby born. All you have to do is look at your bodies. That, just, that, that phrase that we are fearfully and, man, a days when you start examining just the, just the aspects of how creation works together and how the human being, there's evidences for the existence there's evidence, and he makes the comment. He brings in creation in verse 3. Through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. There's evidences, not, not of, of you know, the big bang, but there's evidences that some, there was a designer in creation. That there is a design to creation. And we can go back to that whole argument. Well, what about, you know, what about all these evidences for um, evolution versus creation? And the bottom line is you can take the same evidences as where do you go with those evidences? By faith, you believe that all of a sudden there's this big bang because nobody's seen it. It's just, you know, it's a postulated theory. By faith, we believe that these evidences point to a designer. They point to a creator. They point to God's existence, though I don't see it. That's what he's talking about. That's where faith is. Faith believes there's something more to this life than this life. Faith believes or starts with the principle that I believe there is a designer, creator, somebody to whom we're accountable to. That's where faith begins. But he builds on it. And he adds to that idea, okay, that the idea of how it affects our, our everyday life, okay, and that's where he concludes in Hebrews 11, verse 6, faith believes that he is. Let's, let's go a little bit further. In this definition that he gives of faith, he makes it very clear that we need to believe in the goodness of God. Now, I want to remind you that when he's writing this letter, why, and ask you this question, why are some of the Hebrew readers giving up their faith? Why are they walking away? Persecution. They're all of a sudden facing some hardships. They're facing some real heartaches. They're facing difficulties. And because of those difficulties and hardships, some of them are starting to walk away and saying it's too hard. Now, he's going to write to them, and in this comment, he's going to reference and, make, and present again which is presented time and time in Scripture, that you who are suffering hardship need to have faith in the goodness of God. That's really tough in the middle of difficulties. 
It's real tough, but it is a reality, and that's where faith has to be. Where he makes the comment in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. He says, God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Implied is that God, in his goodness, he is going to have fellowship. He is wanting and willing to have somebody seek after him. He is wanting and willing to have a relationship with the person. He is not this cosmic designer, creator, who is cruel and has... Okay, let me take it back to when, you, when we're little kids. Sometimes we get enamored with bugs, right? When you're little kids or watch little kids, they get enamored with bugs. And they might take those bugs and they might, you know, see if they can push them this way or that way. Or if some kids, and some of us were really cruel this way, we would take the bugs and see what would happen if we strike a match and what would the bug do. Okay, and all you know those different things, and I know I'm cruel, and nobody else in the room probably ever thought of that. But uh, you know, there's the little kids in their immaturity. Can they be mean to the bugs? Some people think that's what God is, right? Some people look and say God is just manipulating my life, and oh, He's a terrible tyrant. He's a cosmic, you know, uh, killjoy. And it's like, wait a minute, no, no, no. Biblical God-pleasing faith comes to this point where we believe and we accept the idea that he is a rewarder, that he is a good God, that he is a gracious God, that he has at, at heart our best interest. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be repeating this again in the morning message because it's such the theme of the book of Job, that God wants to bless, that God wants to help us, that God is, what does the passage say? All things work together for good, okay? That our God, even in the, in the midst of difficulties, that he desires to favor and to bless. Now, we think favor and bless means make everything perfect, easy, simple, pleasant, by our definition. But God has a higher standard. That higher standard might mean, I want to make you more perfect, and in order to make you more perfect, what might have to happen? Some sufferings, some trials, some difficulties, some aging. Okay? That all of a sudden gets us to start having... Bottom line, as you get older and you have the aches and pains, you start letting go of a whole lot more. And you start evaluating and valuing what is really important. And so he, God's, God's a good God. Okay, And so faith that pleases him is faith that says, I believe there's something more to this life than just me. I believe that there is a God who is a creator designer. I believe that this God who is a creator designer is a good, holy, righteous God. That's faith. God-pleasing faith. Let's take it a step further. Okay, It also believes, and in tied in this, is his greatness. His greatness. His greatness is seen, okay, in the fact that he is the one that is ultimately be, to be pleased. He is greater than you and I. He is on a higher degree than we are. He is the highest goal of our life. He's greater. Therefore, our, our purpose is to please him. Our purpose is to glorify him. That's where faith is beginning. Faith has to say he exists, he is good, and the reason I am here is not to get the most out of this life. The reason that I am here is not to make a name for myself. 
The reason that I'm here is to make and glorify Him and His name. That's God-pleasing faith. That God-pleasing faith has to believe that, you know, that He is the one that we're serving and that we're to please Him. Okay? So He's the ultimate authority. That's God-pleasing faith. He is in charge, not me. I'm to honor and serve Him. We're also supposed to, with this faith that pleases Him, have confidence in the ability of God. How do we see that in this passage? Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by what? How are they framed? He brings us out. He wants you to understand this. How is the world made? What's he say? By the word of God. Okay? By the word of God. Not by the hard work of God. If it was the hard work of God, that, that would tell us something different about him. That would tell us that he had to labor. That it was something that was exhausting to him. But it doesn't say that. It is highlighting his ability, his power, by saying that all he had to do was speak a word. This is God-pleasing faith. God-pleasing faith is he's good. My purpose is to honor him. He is able to do anything. That's God-pleasing faith. God-pleasing faith that believes he can do anything means that he can also take care of my problems, my difficulties. That he, is, he has my best interest. And so we, God-pleasing faith accepts the fact that God created the world ex nihilo, out of nothing. Okay, that God didn't have to have, you know, uh, all kinds of assistance. He did it. He's the creator. He's the author that he is totally omnipotent. That's God-pleasing faith. Faith that sees anything and everything is possible with God. Or how did the angel say it to Mary? With God, all things are possible. That God can create life even without human life, even without human devices. Correct? Okay, why do we believe that there could be a virgin birth? Because God said so. We believe what God says. We believe that God could do that. And in fact, the, the, the virgin birth is not a surprise when you think and go all the way back and say God created without either parent. Correct? He created out of... Yeah. And then when he made people, what did he use? The dirt. Okay. So this is God-pleasing faith. God-pleasing faith does, defined by God. He says, this is what, when, when you talk about, I need faith, I need faith. This is what you need. This is what he is saying is real, the substance of faith. Now, the disciples, when he says, you know, when, when the man comes, the dad comes, and Jesus says, you need, all you need to do is believe. Because the father had said to Jesus, if it be possible, would you deliver my son? And Jesus says, you need to believe. And the man says, help my unbelief. What in the phrase, if it be possible, free my son? What there was a, was a, a uh, lapse of faith? If it be possible. Okay. With Christ, all things, okay, that's faith. This is God-pleasing faith. Okay, and so we have to keep this in mind. So let's just summarize it. Let's just put it in simple, everyday terms. 
Last, last week, I wanted to give you, to walk away, I'll do it again this morning, I'll give you one simple thought to walk away with. Last week, what was the one simple thought out of that first chapter of Job? God sees, or always sees, okay? This, let's, let's make faith really, really simple. If you can define it in just two or three sentences or phrases, this is God-pleasing faith. Believing God is. What else would you add to it? Believing God is. Believing God... That would be the is. Okay. He's good. Okay. Okay, I, I, I can. Okay. So, believing God, God is... Believing he cares or is good. Believing he can. Okay. So the is, you, you mentioned Bobby said he's eternal. The is would be inclusive. The can means God can, can do. Okay. The cares is God is good. Okay. And so simplifying that. Okay. And it comes down. And then here's what we do with it. We behave accordingly. We believe this about God. But it makes no difference. God-pleasing faith is, is something that we act upon. It isn't God-pleasing faith if we sit here in our scholastic understanding and we have the theology right, but it doesn't affect us in how we live day by day. So what happens is in this text, what he does is he makes the comment. He says, by the, fell, the elders obtained a good report. They had to put feet to their faith. And that's what the rest of the chapter is all about. It's how they put feet to their faith. Not just believing, but behaving accordingly. Okay, let's rephrase this. Let's bring, let's bring it to you and me. Okay? If you believe God is, God can, God cares... How might that affect you on a daily basis? Give me, give me some way that, in an application. Forgiving others. Something else. Pardon me? Okay. Taking your schedule before him. Rely. What else? Okay. Okay. Trusting for his provisions. Okay. Acting like him, not being the angry person. It is, it is, okay. You all of a sudden get the knock on the door, and the knock on the door says, everything you owned just got wiped out in a fire. And you're going, oh my word. And then the phone rings, you pick it up, everyone you know who's close to you just died. Uh, by the way, do you know anybody this happened to? Okay, we're going to talk about it this morning. Man, I didn't realize how, how these two are so tied together. Um, just that idea. How you respond at that moment is faith. What do you do? How, do you believe God is? He can, he cares, and then behave accordingly. And so what happens here is the chapter goes on and the chapter is going to give us illustrations of what happened. Now, now let's pause and let's ask the question. And this is an important question. I want this type of faith. I want to grow in this type of faith. We've illustrated from other texts that the disciples had some of that faith, but he says at times, O ye of little faith. 
Okay, so the, the idea, and, and he's writing to James. He's talking to believers. He says, you know, have consistent faith. And he's writing in Matthew 21, Matthew 17. He's talking to the disciples, and he's saying, if you are believing, if you continue to believe. Okay, so the idea is that this faith might be in your life like Peter, where you get out of the boat and do that, and then all of a sudden it might lapse a bit. So you and I want, we want to build our faith strengthen our faith. How do we do it? Okay, let's start with the, with the most simple and the most pointed idea. It's taking in more of God's Word. We cannot increase our faith by not taking in God's Word. If you are not reading, if you are not meditating, if you are not memorizing the Word of God, your faith will, be, will, will reach a limit. It, it, it won't continue to grow in the middle of your different trials, troubles, situations. You need the Word of God. You need the Word of God. You need the Word of God. God, take it in more and more and more and more. So that's one of the reasons we feast on the Word of God to increase our faith, our confidence in God. Let's do something else, okay? Let's take in God's Word. The another thing that is critical, biblically demonstrated, is we need to recount God's faithfulness in the past. Hebrews 11, that's what this is all about. He gives a definition of faith, he describes what it is, and then he gives illustration of faith. Why does he bother spending all the next 20-some, 30 verses on giving us illustrations of individuals who lived by faith? Because those experiences, they help build our confidence. Let's go back to the illustration we used last week, week before. You got in your car this morning, you turned the key, you drove down, you stopped at the stop sign, or you waited for somebody else to stop, or you hit the brake at times. Why did you do that? Why did you have confidence that other drivers might stop? Why did you have confidence that when you went in the shower, you opened up the spigot, that all of a sudden water would come? Why did you have confidence in that? Because a lot of us, it's based on experience. The experiences that we've had. In the same way, if we recount experiences, it helps to bolster our faith. So we go through Hebrews chapter 11, where he even contends at the end of the whole chapter, where he makes the comment, he says, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses or, or people who can attest the idea is literally those who are attesting to the goodness of God. We, we read in history of individuals who they can say, yes, God is, God can, God cares. And he gives us a whole bunch of these characters. Not out of boring you, but let's just walk through the text. Okay? And let's recount some of the experiences of these people. Okay? And let's, as we look at biblical characters, let's see what, how it worked. Okay? How did they behave? How did they build it? Okay? That it takes us to number three. Number three, okay, is live by the faith. So we're going we're gonna to explore characters, but we're going to see from these characters that we need to live by faith. Okay? How, how do you learn how to ride a bicycle? How, how did you learn? You, you watched a YouTube video. Yes? Okay, I know, I know what this is. You learn to swim by reading a book. How'd you learn to swim? Yeah, you, you swallowed a whole lot in the process. Okay, you learn by doing it. How'd you learn to ride the bike? You, you only build that balance by doing it. 
Okay, how do we build our faith? Okay, I'm going to go to the Word of God, let God be building. I'm going to be, I'm going to be looking back at situations, okay, where God was faithful. He was, he cared, okay, and I'm going to be practicing. Now, that's Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 do, do, helps us with our, our two and three here. That it's, it gives us an idea. Here's some of the things that happened in Hebrews chapter 11. How do you... How do you build faith? By practicing it. It starts with this. Let's, let's just do W's for the sake of walking through the entire text. Okay, alliteration. That you look at verse 4. By faith, we're talking about uh, Abel. He's making sacrifice. He's making worship. Appropriate. Respect. It, okay. God is. God can. God's greater than me. Therefore, by faith, I'm going to worship him. And so worship is a part of building faith. Practicing faith. Okay, you have worship. Then look at the next one. You have Enoch. And Enoch's known for his walk with God, his fellowship with God, that he spent time with him, that his goal was to please him. That even, it, you know, and at this point, uh, you know, that he's, he's living. And by the way, he was a busy man. He has family. He has other responsibilities. But he found time to walk with God. Uh, I was, uh, there was a commercial last night in the program we were watching. It came through about three times. You know, I, I don't know about your TV, but my TV seems to repeat the same commercial every half hour. Okay. And the same commercial is, why don't people exercise? Why don't people exercise? Why don't people exercise? And I'm sitting on the couch and going, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. And their, their comment was, you know, people don't have time. People don't have time. So we're going to give you a device that you can do two other things while you exercise. Okay. And so if you buy our device, you can do multitasking. And I still don't want to. Okay, I just don't... The, here in, the, in this idea is, you know, why is it that people don't walk with God? Okay. Probably true of two things is we don't have time and we don't want to. Okay. And so here in this passage, it's saying, okay, here's a guy who built his faith. Here's a guy that practiced it and he, he rode the bike. He was walking with God. Here's a guy who was riding the bike. He's out there and he's learning how to tread the water. He was worshiping. You go on a little bit further. And then you have these individuals like Noah. He's our next character that shows up in the passage. Noah, by faith, being warned of God of the things, all of a sudden he's moved with, look at the passage. Okay, the things, when it says being warned of God of things not yet, not seen as yet, what's he talking about? Yeah, okay, so we go a little bit further. He says he hadn't seen it, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Okay, so he acts, he works for God, he does the labors that are necessary by faith. He's not seen the end results, but this is what God said, so I want to do it. You know, this is what God... One of the, one of the challenges for the baby Christian is, okay, I, I, I don't see how this is going to work financially. And it is an enigma, is it not, financially? To give to the Lord and... You know, you, do you remember these days? When you first started giving, you said, I can't afford to give right? And then you started giving to the Lord, and you were sitting there going, I don't know how this is going to work. How is my money going to last more when I give more of it to God? And what happens? It works out. And it's like, I don't get it. That's okay. It's by faith. That if we're faithful in those little things like that, I don't have, this is me. None of you have probably, you have no clue what I'm talking about, but so let me, I'm raising our kids. And there's moments where I'd rather put them back where they came from. Okay? There's moments where it's like, 
This isn't working. I'm doing the same thing every, forget every day. It's every minute. Okay. We're correcting him. We're correcting him. And the discipline, the discipline problem wasn't the kids. The problem with the discipline, I should say, wasn't with the kids. The problem was me. I, instead of training them, the first person I had to train was me to do it, to be consistent with it. Because after about the third time, it was like, somebody else can have them. Okay? So it's just a matter of saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this ever going to work? Will they ever change? See, none of you experience this. You give, you're giving me the blank look. Okay. But in my home, this is what it's like. I, I don't think this is working. I don't think it's working. You know, we've had them in the home for five years, and there are still, you know, moments where we've tried, we've tried. We, is it, is, are, are, will they survive? No, no, that wasn't the question. Will I survive their childhood? Okay. And it's amazing how when you train up the child in the way he should go, Okay, is there a, fa- a, a, a portion of faith in parenting? Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to behave, and by the way, training a child, is it work? Yes, no? Yeah. It's the most exhausting and most important job you ever do. But training that gen- next generation, that, Noah did it. He didn't see the end result, but he did what he was supposed to do. That's, that's what faith does. It works. Can we add something else? That Watch this passage. The different people that he uses as waiting, people who don't know the end result. We already mentioned Noah didn't. But people who in their entire lifetime did not see the end result. But they believed God. They waited on God. But they, and they believed he was going to. Watch your character, your illustrations. Okay, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into the place which he should receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and went out, not knowing whither he went. Right? He's traveling to what land? What's it called? It was promised by God. Promised land, thank you. Okay. He's headed for the promised land. He doesn't know when God's going to say stop. And, And by the way, you and I today would find that adventurous. And thrilling and exciting because we could do the trip in how many hours? Where's the difference for Abraham? He's walking, he is going for weeks, he's got to take, think this through. What's he got to take with him? Okay, how many rest stops along the way? How many food places? What about his GPS? We, we live in such a different world, we don't understand this. We don't pause to think, what was it like to pack up, say goodbye to family, and when he said goodbye to family, he was saying goodbye to family. He would never see them again. No Skype. No postage system, per se, in that ancient world that we know of. Okay, so he is, when he is departing, he's departing. And he's going, he's moving. 
But he goes on and says, here's something else he did. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in... What's that? Why is he bringing that up? Why is it important that Abraham was dwelling in tents? You say, well, it's just cultural. That's true, but why the tents as opposed... Not everybody lived in tents. There's a lack of permanency implied very clearly that this isn't a permanent situation. This is... There's, there's, there's some you know, instability here, if, you, if we can use that word. The heirs with him of the same promise, he looked... Look at verse 10, folk. He looked for something. He's looking for a permanency. He's looking for a city. He's looking for something that, that God has promised. And, he's, and uh, how much of the land did Abraham possess? Only where he walked. I was going to say, please don't say all God promised. How many, how, when have the Jews ever possessed all that God has promised? They haven't as of yet. So Abraham is believing he's got a deed to all this territory, and he's believing it, but he never possesses it. But in his spirit, in his mind, good as real because God promised. It goes on in, in the story, okay? It says, and by the way, when you and I think of Sarah and the baby situation, what do we remember about Sarah? She laughs. We remember she laughs. And she, when the angel says, you know, why do you laugh? Oh, I didn't laugh. I didn't doubt. Okay, and she's rebuked. This text doesn't mention the laughing. It commends her because it says, through faith, Sarah herself received strength. So she, even though she laughed initially, where did she end up according to this passage? She ended up in faith. She ended up in faith. Does it ever happen that you may start with a doubt and end up in confidence? Okay? It happens to good people. It goes, keep on going down. It talks about her and them. They're bearing a child when they're, and, and, and they're heroic bearing babies at 90 years of age. <laughs> and, and God bless them. Because, and again, it was a whole different setting. Then it goes on. They all, it says in verse 13, they all died in faith, having received, not having received the promises. And it goes on, talks about their strangers and pilgrims in this land and how they believe. And then it talks about how he offers up Isaac on the altar, which is just absolutely, verse 17. That, that's the one, one of the most incredible stories of the entire account, that he raises the knife, is going to take the child's life with full confidence because before he went on the mount, what did he say to his servant? I and the lad will return. He's believing. He's believing. Even, even if I take my son's life at God's direction, God has to bring him back to life. Never seen or heard of anything like that in his life, but he believes. It's faith. You keep on going. Okay? It says in this passage, it uses both in the next 18, 19, 20, 21. It uses Isaac and Jacob. They give to their boys promises and saying, you know, here's the inheritance. They don't own it yet. But God gave it to us. God gave us the, the, the spiritual deed. And so they talk about it with their boys. They're passing on their faith promise to their kids. How many granddads have ever sat down and had a faith conversation with their kids, grandkids? 
How many dads? About we believe this is what God's going to do. And then it talks about in, in verse 22. What's Joseph's thing of faith? What did Joseph, Joseph of the Egypt, what, what is his heroic expression of faith? He, he told, he gave, he gave in his burial, his you know, death, death will, his description, make sure you bury me back in the promised land. He believed they would go back there. But when he died, where's he living? He's in Egypt. He's ensconced in Egypt. He's one of the rulers, you know, in, that, in the authority of Egypt. And it goes down and talks about Moses' parents, how that they operated by faith because they, they knew. They, they saw he was a goodly child. They knew that he was going to be the deliverer. And so the aspect of faith goes on. Can we make this comment? Those who operate by faith, they walk with God, they work for God, they wait on God, they war for God. They will stand for what's right. They will do what the... Even if the opposition comes, you have this whole warrior, warrior aspect of Moses. Though he is having to confront individuals, he's got to stand against that which is... I wonder when it talks in this pa- passage, when it talks about keeping the Passover by faith, I wonder if there was any pressure, if there was any ridicule, if there was any, and we don't know, if there was any, you know, even some people, some of those who were in the, the land of Goshen, if they started doubting and how that, how that would be in that, in, in that listening to this and working through it. I, I, I often think about walking to the Red Sea, you know, and... It talks about, by faith they pass through the sea. Seriously, folk. Wouldn't you have a moment's thought that, what if? What if the walls come, uh, and it's water walls. I mean, exciting. The land is is dry. Exciting. But if you read Psalms, what's going on in the sky around them? Psalms talks about there are storms... There is lightning, there is thundering while they're passing through on the dry ground. So everything seems to be in a total cataclysmic upheaval. Wow. By faith. Just believing this is what God told him to do. Rahab. Rahab to take the stance to say, I am siding here and my family's not going to like it. Some of you have had that. You've had that, have you not? Where your family said... You know, if you follow Christ, you're a, and if you become one of those fanatics, and that's been some of the challenge. By faith, you may have to war against some of those cultural situations. The prophets, oh, there's so many of them listed in this whole aspect. Verse 35, it goes on. We jump out. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trials of cruel mocking, scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds, imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain. Um, the life of faith is easy. Yes or no? The life of faith makes everybody like you. Yes, no? The, li- the life of faith may cause new conflicts. Yes? Okay, that's what we just read. We just read in that. Okay, what keeps people going? What, what, what did they say? It re- we read it in the passage. Okay? They had something that kept them going. Verse 35, that they might obtain... A better resurrection. Folks, think this through. 
If you're resurrected, you're resurrected. Is he saying that she might get a better resurrected body than him? Is that what it means by a better resurrection? Hers might last longer than his? No. What's he talking about? It's not the physical, bodily idea, but what's he talking about? Reward? Commendation? Is it possible, no, no offense to either one of you here with this, is it possible she could hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, and he wouldn't? So who's got the better resurrection? Hello? She would. She would have the better commendation. That's what we're talking about in the text, is a better commendation. And so they wanted to obtain that. They wanted to, to obtain a good report, believing that God had something better for them. What causes people to stand for Christ in the face of death? Believing there's something better. Believing there's something better. Believing God. And so that's what he's talking in this whole text. Okay? Let's add these two final thoughts. How do I build up my faith? Okay? I am in the Word. I recount God's faithfulness. I am behaving according to faith. And then I need to pray about it. There are several passages where we are told the disciples came to the Lord. They asked Him to increase our faith. And so that's an important... And then Galatians 5, verse 22, by being Spirit-filled. Because being Spirit-filled, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. Faith is one of the qualities that the Spirit of God will heighten within you as you are Spirit-filled. That's how we build faith. There's a whole other question I want to get into, but I don't have time today. And that's some of your notes. And I'll probably do that in a couple of weeks but on a Sunday evening. But we have to pause and say, okay, where am I at with my faith? Am I building it? Let, let's take a break, and we're going to come back, and I'm going to give you a real practical thing to do this week from the life of Job. And a lot of what we repeat goes right together, but we'll give you a practical lesson to work on through the whole week. Thanks.